Okay, so here we go. Uh, Tom and Thelma look left, episode five. And uh, yeah, hello Thelma, nice to see you again. Hi Tom, my podcast pal, as I heard you refer to the other day. (laughs) I like that. I'd forgotten all about that. (laughs) I think think I'm going to use that, I think it's a really good phrase. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, so a few things to talk about today, and a couple, uh, and of course we've got a, a guest uh, coming shortly. Uh, really looking forward to that. So uh, yeah, I suppose one of the one of the most well, not in, most interesting, but something that really caught uh, caught my eye was the the situation with what happened to Ash Saka, um, who you know I'm a big admirer of Ash. She's a you know fights her corner really well, and and uh, you know clearly. A, amazingly a bright person uh, and actually uh, as luck would have it I think we're gonna if all goes according to plan she's coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks which I'm really looking forward yeah, to yeah we're planning for Ash to join us uh, but she Ash has had a terrible time with this um, and yeah she, you say as you say she does fight a corner but what she had to endure from uh, Julie Birchall, who I remember from the 70s, uh, working on the NME, uh, and, and was quite a cool figure then, but uh, now a journalist for The Telegraph and Spectator. And Ash has been having to put up with, well, racist uh, racist accusations and criticisms and abuse and misogyny. And Julie Birchall's having to pay substantial damages, I'm glad to say, uh, and issued a public apology, um, which is being shared widely, I'm also glad to say. Um, and, and inexcusable, really, um, because Ash, uh, you know, is a woman of colour um, who bravely uh, gives her point of view and is entitled to her point of view um, as a journalist and commentator, um, shouldn't have to put up with that. And the worst aspect from what I've been reading is that Julie Birchall encouraged her followers to do a, a pile-on on Twitter against Ash. So absolutely inexcusable, and from an older woman who, in my view, should be supporting um, younger women um, within the workplace or in society, to do that is, for me, unforgivable. So I'm I'm really pleased that Ash uh, took her on um, in the courts and, and has won it, the case, and, as I say, is receiving... Uh, substantial damages um so yeah uh, good on ash and let's hope it's a lesson from anybody else who who abuses people in that way uh, oh i mean and it wasn't it it was it was awful stuff as well wasn't it it was just hard to even read some of the stuff that was being said and um so yeah good to get it sorted out and uh, and hopefully Mm. the more this happens the more this nonsense will stop. I mean, it's absolutely horrific, mm. some of the stuff that goes on. And yeah. So hats yeah. off to Ash there for that one. Yeah, and, most uh, definitely. And I hope she's come through it, because it must have been really, really unpleasant. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely hideous. And and to think that... Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you're putting that kind of stuff up online about someone... You know, you, you need help, really. I, I, I when 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 it first surfaced, and I sort of got a glimpse of what was going on, and I just thought this this someone needs to help this woman here. She's she's completely lost it, and mm. uh, you know, but I, you know, it was awful, and it went on and on, and you know, I mean, I can understand people making one mistake now and again, but to have a kind of ongoing campaign like that was just horrific. So anyway, good good outcome there. Uh, We were talking off the record the other day, Thelma, about um, the courts are a way of, you know, getting some kind of justice. Uh, It's not straightforward because it's expensive and you Mm. take big risks, don't you? But... um, Mm. Yeah, but I I mean, it's been a bad time recently um, in terms of democracy and justice, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you'll be aware of the police crime courts and sentencing bill that got through um, second reading. I mean, it's not through yet, but obviously uh, all the Tories voted it through. Um, And it it just seems to me that we're... Well, it's an assault on the 
democratic right to protest um, and uh, on the back of obviously the um, horrendous uh, murder um, of Sarah Everard and the vigil that took place on Clapham Common um, and police intervening in the heavy-handed way that they, they appear to have done um, just just makes me feel that whoever thought that might be an appropriate response to women who had come to pay their respect and, to, and for goodness sake to lay flowers um, at the bandstand in Clapham Common and then to go in in such a heavy-handed way, as I say. Um, and then, of course, we have this um, this bill uh, going through the Commons, um, which Labour... I believe we're going to abstain on, and then following the events in Crapham Common, uh, voted against. Um, which, what can I say about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says it yeah, all, doesn't I, it? I, 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 you know, I just, uh, yeah, not not much respect for that, to be honest with you. Um, no. But at least they've done the right thing in the end. Um, but it shouldn't have needed a, a I, U-turn. I was, no, absolutely. And I, I, I honestly was thinking at that point, after that absolute horrible scenes on Clapham Common there with the cops and the, and the women, that even the Tories might find some degree of respect there and say, look, we, we'll just talk about this bill another time. It's not appropriate now. But they pushed ahead with it. It's it's just another step in the wrong direction, and and some parts of that bill are just hideous. And uh, yes, uh, I don't think most people realise what it means in terms of their personal freedoms and the restrictions that and the powers um, that that the government and uh, police will have. Yeah. Um, I, I have just heard though that the committee stage where the amendments are put forward um, has been delayed. So I think. Even the government, looking at the public's response yeah. over the past past few days, and realizing that this this really is a hot potato, yeah, and yeah. Um, and people, you can push people so far, and then they say, hey, you know, yeah. enough. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, so I'm hoping, I hoping when it goes to the laws as well that that you know amendments will be laid and, and some something can happen to to prevent. Yeah. Uh, because certainly with the Tories, with the majority they've got, it is very difficult. But you would expect. Labour to be out there, um, well, certainly never even considering abstaining on on a bill like this, um, but but certainly speaking out against it and doing everything in their powers to prevent it from going through. Um, so you know, especially on the back of, as I say, the tragedy of Sarah Everard's mm, death, mm, mm. Um, and and those those women at Clapham Common. I think it's it's. I mean, the, the interesting thing for me as well, though, that there were vigils um, in Leeds and, and and across the country, um, and um, all carried out um, safely and, and peacefully um with with um office police officers um at the scene so it, it obviously wasn't necessary for it to happen either um and you wonder who gave the instruction for it to happen in that way at on clapham common um so lots of questions i think yeah, there yeah um, i mean it does seem do, do, does seem that there's some kind of well you know uh, some kind of problems and issues with the met clearly uh I think, anyway, obviously, I've, I'm no expert on these things, but the stuff that goes on and you just think, hey, this is almost like a, uh, the America where, um, in the States, where going in the police force for a lot of areas in America is just a career for for people that, you know, enjoy winning well, power. Yes. And it's like, the you know, the bill itself is almost Trumpian. You know, it's almost like the government is still carrying out what was, in, in fact, very similar policies to uh, the Trump Trump state, you know, and policing. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very worrying, very worrying. And I think it's another one of those things we need to watch and see how that develops. Yeah, and I mean, I think what our podcast is about, if anything, is just to add, add a, a little bit, tiny, I mean, it's tiny, minuscule bit of balance in the, in the right direction here the, the, that if you just let that kind of stuff happen and and just mm. let these people do this stuff i mean they, it ju- mm. it's just a creeping thing isn't it it's just pushing the envelope well, all the time and and we have yeah, to and, we and have just to that, take a stand and say something yeah well i think you know i don't know about how many protests you've been on in your time uh, tom but i know you know i've been on protests for 
you know, the miners, uh, teachers, anti-austerity, anti-war, saving our local hospital. Um, You know, so many times when uh, you come together and it's collective action and it's your right in a democracy um, to have your voice heard. Um, and I, I just think this, this bill is a threat to that democracy and, and that right um, to protest. Um, but, I mean, this Clapham Common wasn't even a protest, was it? It was a vigil, for heaven's oh. sake. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, as I say, I think we need to see how this, yeah. how this develops. Yeah, yeah. But it's a very worrying development, very worrying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's... Uh, uh, whole area that we, we kind of continually watch on the on uh, on this podcast is what is the creeping of that kind of uh the power creep or whatever you want to call it i'm not quite sure how you'd call it um but so when something happens like what happened with ash in the courts there and it's you just feel like yes thank goodness you know uh, and interestingly um but what was interesting was that when this subject first hit the news uh of um Julie Birchall, uh, her, her publisher cancelled her book. Uh, she's written a mm. book called Welcome to the Woke Trials. Well, I'm going to say <laughs> right out now, I am woke and I'm proud to be woke. And, you know, if, if you're asleep out mm. there and you think it's wrong to be woke... You've got it wrong. Mm. But anyway... Mm. Um, yeah. uh, well, I always think with the, with the book uh, being cancelled for, I think what goes around comes around. And I'm a big believer in karma, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the funny thing... Well, it wasn't funny, but this, it's funny to find humour in something that's actually so awful. But she then got another publisher... And uh, hmm. uh, but, I didn't hear that. Yeah, but yeah, but wait for it. It turned out that this publisher she got was a right-wing racist... Uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but it's reputed to be, a, a, you know, extremely right-wing racist setup. That uh, mm. um, and and when Julie Birchall found out, she cancelled that contract, and um, and said, "Well, uh, you know, I've always been against all forms of racism." And uh, uh-huh. so anyway, she's, too little, too li- too little, too late. <laughs> yeah, I'd say exactly. there. Anyway, there you go. So she's without a book publisher for a book that. Uh, you know, I would never read ever in, under any circumstances. But, um, you know, if anyone's looking yeah, to publish... Me it, neither, Tom. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Uh, so, we're, oh, um, oh, well, look about... How about that? Our, our, I'm going to just uh, welcome our guest right in here now. Yes, yeah, so, so really exciting today. We've got our first guest that isn't actually an elected politician. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that anyway, because it's uh, someone I admire greatly. Anyway, welcome, Melissa, Ben. Uh, Great privilege to have you with us, and really looking forward to chatting to you for the next half hour or so. Oh, well, well, as I was taught to say, being a good, you know, well-brought-up young lady, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm really, I, I'm really pleased to be on the podcast. And I, as I was, uh, have said to you already, I've listened to all the episodes. I think this is episode five, if I'm right. Correct. And right. yeah, and I really like, you know, I really like the format. I like uh, the bit about what's going on currently and how it affects the left. And then I like the the bit with the guest. And I like learning a lot about heavy metal. And how last week? Oh, me too, Melissa. Yeah, I, I learned so much. I, so much from Richard Bergen and Tom about heavy metal. And, and you know, I've never, I, I've hardly listened to any heavy metal. I've always sort of slightly dismissed it. I was a soul girl, you know. I like Marvin Gaye and Aretha yeah, Franklin, too. and that's my mm. that's my background. Mm. So, but you get to a certain age and stage, and I was listening while I was running, and I thought, I'm going to give myself over to this heavy metal conversation, and. And I, I really learned a lot about the thing of the guy who lost his fingers in a industrial yeah. accident, and that created. I didn't a sound. know any of that either. I didn't know any of that at all. And and like you, I stayed quiet and listened to Richard and Tom, and didn't mention Al Green or any yeah. of my any of my favourites. Well, we've sure. got men- now we've got a mention of, of 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 all of that on in my in my episode. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it could be quite an interesting feature to have a a, a small discussion about music with all the guests just because it is interesting it is a bit of an insight into 
the person, isn't it? You know, you'd never have thought Richard Bergen was into heavy metal. And, and now we find out that Melissa Ben and Thelma Walker are into soul. Well, can, uh, I, can, I, can I tell you something? I used to play certain songs so often. I remember I had a neighbouring room with my brother Hilary, who is an, uh, an MP, and, and, and when we were teenagers, and I played, I think, Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, so on repeat, so much, and I think there were the sort of complaints about in the house. But I always loved that kind of that kind of music, and I, st- I still do. And I love, yeah. um, you know, things like Massive Attack, and then my daughter played me Frank Ocean not long ago, who, and uh, I remember she said, Mum, I, I don't know what it is about this music, it just makes me feel just makes me feel all sorts of things and I just thought yeah you know I know exactly and and that's the important role of music isn't it I mean there's lots of conversations at the moment about the pandemic and uh, and how people have have returned to their music and favourites and art as well and the culture that, that people are missing and so important with education for children as well and conversation about what's in the um, curriculum in the future for children and what's been cut out which which brings me to a question for you Melissa on because I know you I mean your career is just incredible journalist education campaigner author activist you you do so much I don't I don't know how how you get the balance but um, my interest um, well what we share is education yes and um I, I just want to say that I, I think education at the moment is in a real mess. <laughs> I just I just feel that um, that that so much is going wrong, um, and not just because of the pandemic, um, linked to you know cuts to education over the last ten, eleven years. Um, and I read your book Life Lessons yes. um, about how it could be with yeah. a, a national education service, um, and the radical policies that that needed to be in place to to deliver that um and I, I just want to ask you what you feel about education at the moment and how you know that vision you have in in, in your book life lessons about how it could be I agree with so so much yeah. um but how do we make it happen Melissa how, oh, how are we going to make it happen Well, the first thing I want to say about life lessons is because I'm not an elected politician and I kind of, I always think of myself because I come from such a politically or parliamentarily active family, I've always feel as if I'm not quite doing what I should be doing, even though I'm old enough to know better. So I wrote that book as a contribution to the debate and a kind of gift, it sounds a bit odd, but I wanted to give a short, uh, punchy, readable book to Labour at the time to say when people said well because I I was always hearing people saying well what would a national education service be so I thought well it's you know because it is quite a short book and I wrote it deliberately to be something you would want to read the best thing anybody said to me Mm -hmm. was I, I read this on a short flight from London to Glasgow and I you know I couldn't put it down well that that was exactly what I wanted mm. well you know my my feeling about education is that it's I think well my simple feeling is that it's it there's always been a tension if you look back over the 20th century between sort of progressive and um more traditional authoritarian views about about the curriculum and about content but really Parts of New Labour played into that, but really since the Gove years, and even though Gove himself was sacked for being so toxic to teachers, it's a kind of Govian agenda that the coalition pursued and then Mm. the Tories have. And, you know, I think it's the... I think think it's taken us in the wrong direction. And, uh, I mean, Mm. you know I think that, Thelma. I mean, there's... And there's there's questions about the content of education, but there's also questions about, which interest me just as much, about the structure of education and the hierarchical nature of our system. You know, the private schools, the public schools, and the private schools at the top. Mm. Only in England could public schools be the schools of the elite. You know, it's just like crazy crazy language. And then going down to sort of schools that are underfunded in poorer areas. And I think we still have that sort of, um, that pyramid. And that bothers me as much, yeah. 
you know what I think about Gove, because obviously I was a head teacher um, when uh, Michael Gove became Secretary of State for Education. So you 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 know my view, views on what he brought or took away from education. But do you think Labour have ever got it right? I mean, Anthony Crossland and what he wanted to do way back and getting rid of grammar schools. And But do you think Labour have ever... Well, La- Labour's greatest achievement was uh, the introduction of comprehensive education in mm. the in the 60s and 70s. Mm. I mean, there's always been a debate within Labour over selective versus comprehensive education. I'm always surprised when you mm. hear about Ellen Wilkinson, you know, a, a, a fiery mm. left-wing Labour MP who was very... Mm, I read that book. Very, and very <laughs> yeah. programmers. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll have to get used to me on this podcast. I've been reading a lot about Labour history since 2019. Mm. I thought the best way is to think about the history of the Labour Party in the last 100 years, so I'm going to be constantly talking about the past. <laughs> but... Um, no, I think Labour's, you know, I think the trouble is, and this is part of the bigger conversation that you're having across your podcast, is that Labour's always interacting with what you might call the zeitgeist and the culture and the media. And Labour has always been very affected by how the establishment think as filtered through the media of the day. And... Um, mm. On the other hand, I'm a sort of optimist and I think arguments, certainly the arguments that you and I agree with, that there should be more art, there should be more music. What you said, Tom, last week about joy, that education should be about joy. I think these ideas are very, very popular. And so what I'm interested in seeing is a Labour Party that can articulate them while also still keeping up the very important arguments about equality which 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 cause more opposition because there's a, a very strong grammar school lobby in this country and there's a very strong defence of private education. And until we tackle that, you know, we're not really getting to the heart of things. Mm. But there, there's also many other aspects like funding all schools, uh, better funding for all schools and, and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that our 17 and 19 uh, policies on education in the manifesto were the closest um, that I've I've ever known Labour get to, to having that fully uh, inclusive, comprehensive education uh, service and national education service. And I think it's interesting when you say you wrote your book, Life Lessons, to kind of prompt Labour. Um, I said a gift, actually, you, as a gift. Or a gift, <laughs> all right, a gift. Yeah. <laughs> My reading of that is maybe, come on, this is how it could look. Oh, well, yeah, let's, let's call let's it a, g- this, but... a gift stroke <laughs> kick up whatever but uh, it was uh, but also I think I, I, I get frustrated on behalf of politicians I mean I about how they are able to make bigger arguments in the media how difficult it is and I was really struck by what your conversation last week with Richard about how I think you used the term sort of wooden and tense people could be mm. when being interviewed now I actually think mm. that also happened to uh, people at the end of the new Labour era, where you know it's when Labour is in government, and you're you're being sort of shouted at by some some journalist or TV person, and and everybody's very tense. But it was certainly true of the left, and and it reminded me actually of my of my of my father, who of course in the seventies and 80s was at points called the most hated man in Britain. His politics were seen as terribly dangerous, and you know. He was a very skilled communicator, uh, but there was a tension in in him in that time because he felt so under attack. And I remember going to see him talk. Um, I actually was teaching a class at City University and it just happened that he was giving... I know it sounds really odd. It just happened that I saw a poster saying, Tony Benn is today giving a lecture in the main hall. So I said about journalism and politics, so I said to all my students, we're going to do something unusual, we're going to go and hear this guy. And by the way, I probably should tell you he's my dad, which I don't think I'd mentioned up to that point. <laughs> and we went, But the thing I was struck when I saw him speaking was that he was... I think he'd left Parliament by then and he was so relaxed... You know, that he had stepped outside that bear pit. He'd and and he really in mm. many ways his best years were when he was free. He always said it, when he was free 
of seeking power or being seen to seek power and he was free to speak his mind and then all his humor and his experience and he was you know he was mm. wonderfully funny and had a lot to say mm. and I, so I, I, I was thinking about that but of course the reason that it's so tense for politicians but particularly those on the left is that you're dangerous if you might have power so the mm. thought that that the you know, that the, the Corbyn years might have yielded a Corbyn government was so terrifying and so um, so against what so many people wanted that they that there was just a high level of a, a attack of anybody who was putting forward those views. And it just made me feel quite sad to hear that, to hear Richard mm. talking about how difficult it was and how if mm. they didn't, if he didn't fluff an answer, they weren't interested. And I don't think anyone who's not been through that or seen someone close to them go through that understand what that's really like. I don't think people understand the way mm. these things work. Well, that, that's why I asked him the question, because obviously I was only in Parliament for two and a half years, but on my you know, very small scale of, of experience with it, I, and I witnessed so many interviews with the left-wing MPs and and saw their response sometimes and saw them tense up, yeah. you know, because they were waiting for that sting in the tail or wondering whether something was going to be edited uh, in a way to make them look, well, stupid or have, have said something, you know, that was incorrect or, or, or whatever. And, um, I mean, hopefully what we're hoping from this podcast, Tom and I, is that... Um, we see the real people because I felt with Richard on the, on the podcast that we saw the real Richard, the warmth and the impish humour and and all of those things. Yeah. Um, but you, you've you've just touched on to um, something I I wanted to ask you, um, Melissa, was about what it was like growing up um, in such a political um, household um, with your mum too, because your mum did amazing things, didn't she? And yeah. uh, you know. Was a writer and activist and all the rest of it, and, so, a, and a mother what, what, of four, what, what, and a mother of four. I know. I was going to say a mother of four, and yeah. um, and for yourself as a mother of two, with all that you do and the, that balancing act. Um, but what what was it like for you growing growing well, up? Well, you know, I think it's important to say, as this is a safe space for those of us who sort of share views. You know, it was a very happy childhood, and I think you know, and I think mm. that we're talking about you know we. I was saying how much I like the fact that both of you reflect on life. You know, I think that's that's a very important fact. It was very happy. It was very relaxed. Um, you know, however my dad was out in the world, he was just, you know, he was a, a sort of wonderfully funny and affirming and, you know, he's terribly busy and we didn't really see mm. much of him. But I've, I've, I came to realise, you know, in the end, it's how you feel your parent thinks about you. It's not if they're always there. Uh, but of course, my mum was the one who really managed everything, and she was American, and she was much more informal. And um, I don't know. I thought, you know, I miss them a lot. You know, my dad died seven years ago last Sunday. My mum died twenty mm. years ago. So my dad had they, and it was just, a, and we were a very close family and supportive. So mm. that's important to say. But it was hugely mm. political. You know, it's not every day mm. that your dad comes home from work and he'd been I, I can actually the thing I most remember was he'd been somewhere to speak at some big outside meeting and been I think he may have been a minister and had come under attack for government policy and I just remember the the, the stress and anxiety of that um there was a lot of stress and anxiety you know there was a lot mm. and but I also yeah. remember that the house was full of um, I mean, this would have been before the campaign group, but there were always sort of meetings about the strategy and things like that. So on a Sunday night, my poor old mum would have to provide the food for these sort of strategists who'd come in and just sort of... And, you know, and I, and I, you see, I became a very strong feminist early on, partly because I kind of saw that, you know that uh, political life also involved a lot of labour in the background and that was, you know, all life involves labour in the background and a lot of that was obviously being done by my mum. But so there were meetings and so sometimes I would sit in on those meetings thinking about how are we going to deal with this, how are we going to deal with that. I remember my dad coming home from the Commons at night and I would hear him talking about what had happened in the Commons or Cabinet to my mum when they were sort of late at night and to me that felt like normal life I now look back and realize mm. that's not very normal 
<laughs> but that, but, but what, yeah. what a privilege, yeah, what a privilege. I mean, I only heard your dad's, I didn't know your dad. I'm really sorry I never met your dad because if ever I'm doing a speech or, you know, preparing something, I, I always think, I nearly always use a quote from your dad <laughs> because you're he, he just so wise, just so wise. And the only time I heard him speak was, um, was shortly before he died, actually. And it was at the Lawrence Batley Theatre in, uh, in Huddersfield. And he was just one man on the stage and he just held forth for a couple of hours and I was absolutely transfixed and everything he said there was just so much wisdom there but with humour as well Um, and I see that in you Melissa I see see that in you I do, I do He was a a fantastic performer I remember somebody saying I don't know, it was some kind of health practitioner had said that he was one of the very few people whose heart rate slowed the bigger the audience (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know i, I think some, I, i'm definitely not that i i don't I, he, he is that he was a he was a natural um but you know i i did an event not long ago with um the editor of his diaries and with chris mullin who also was a diarist of the blair era and we did uh uh we we did a, a a sort of session on diary writing and so on so i read my dad's diaries all the way through which i'd kind of known about and I, I look at them up there in my shelves. And I, I sort of then saw him in that way that you do understand your parents' life later on. You know, he started out as this young, sort of eager, um, you know, naive young man. And he was in the war. And then he was a centre-right uh, young MP. And he was very... I mean, he had a tremendous work ethic. And, mm. you know, he worked... You know, both my parents were really work very very hard but then the move to the left so I really came to understand understand him more and you know I think it's quite well known that he was quite rare in moving to the left as he got older and, and interesting ooh, ooh. yeah and it, you're talking to us too now what, well I know Tom <laughs> I've become more left I know you Tom I know I have. you have Thelma you're quite the radical and and Tom <laughs> you I heard in the first episode that you had said you were not that involved and then the Corbyn era radicalised you so I'm talking to the right people you need to get John Burko on the programme because there's someone who moved from right to left <laughs> yes that, that would be great wouldn't it I, I, yeah that would be uh, let's get that on the list let's yeah, get absolutely. John on the list uh, Tom that would be yeah. that would be really wonderful yeah so um, just, sorry yeah, just going back to um, education and Tom, are you going to come in on this? Just to say to you, Melissa, I don't know if you're aware, but both uh, Tom and I went to grammar school. I know. Um, and, uh, you know, well, Tom, go, I'll hand over to you with this because I know you've got some really strong feelings about this. Well, I think the grammar school stuff, so I've probably said it all really. I've, I've got no time for that, for dividing people up into categories at all. Um, but... Um, on on education, I think I've probably also said that it's funny how, knowing that Melissa's heard everything we've said. It's, it's <laughs> I, I, mean, I, <laughs> I think I'm probably getting near the end of all all I've got to say. But um, can uh, I just can I just say, Tom, if you've grown up in politics, the one thing you get used to is hearing the same thing said many times in many ways. So don't feel bad about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because on that ed- on education, I mean, I I. When I uh, first had kids and and it came to time to send them to school and um, this wasn't, this was my first wife and uh, I I didn't want to send them to school because I just thought I don't, you know, I don't want them to get a load of crap pushed down their throat really. And um, so I I held my ground for a bit and then one day when I was out of work there was a knock on the door and it was the school attendance officer and it completely freaked out my wife and and when I got home from work she was in a total state and I in the end I just said okay they, they'll have to go to school because I, I can't cope with you being like this and but I then took the view that as long as I got things right at home mm. that would balance out what was happening to them at school and bear in mind that in the seventies, really, the schools weren't terrible. They were they, they were doing starting to do quite nice things, you know, like sitting around all sitting around tables and being little groups and none of this kind of army stuff in uniform crap that goes on now. And um, uh, and so 
I made that my way of dealing with it, really. Look, I'll, I'll make the home right. And mm-hmm. when you get back from school, that will balance out this thing about achieving all this stuff and l- how important it is to learn all these facts. and all. That. So I'm quite radical when it comes to education. Uh, and I, I still am. And it's, it's painful to watch what's been going on. And I completely sympathise with what's happened to Thelma, and it basically ended your career, didn't it, Thelma, in education? Well, I ch- it, was, it was one of those situations. In fact, I'm speaking at an event tonight where I'm going to touch on it, that um, it, it, I've never been very good. I had to lead people as a head teacher. And um, the Govian uh, ideology, um, the targets and test culture, mm-hmm. um, and the cuts to the Shore Start Centre that we had there and the good work that was going on, um, and I've never been very good at um, leading people um, or following something if my heart's not in it. Mm. And I knew I had to lead a team of staff um, forward into a world that just was not about educational well-being, um, about children's happiness. Um, and and so I, I, I knew that I couldn't change things from within and that... I was already fairly politically active, that it was through politics that I could make that difference in the future. So it was it was impossible for me to do it. And in, in a way, I can kind of see um, it, history repeating itself with the fact that uh, when it came to the Labour Party, I'd, I'd gritted my teeth and supported, you know, in previous campaigns, but then come to a point where I just didn't believe... Yep. In, in what yeah. was happening, yeah. and so I had to make that choice. So it's a similar, well, it's a similar thing. You're a sort really. of all or nothing person, and 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 you, yeah, you, you've just said that. You, if your heart's not in it, you can't you can't go along with it. You can't tack or trim or all those things that you might have to do as a, a head adapting to new government policies or or a, somebody in politics going along with something you don't agree with. But, you know, I, there's so many things in what you've said I want to pick up. I just want to say, Tom, I think your approach was probably very sensible that, you know, you've got to accept you send your children to school, but that I think the home... I, I really think the home is a huge influence, but that makes me worry for all the children who don't have the kind of homes where they're going to, well, first of all, be accepted and loved and given free time and time to dream, but also to learn about art and cinema and music and all those things that you might learn in certain sort of homes but you know the other thing about the you being ahead Thelma and education is you know we have one of the youngest workforces in the world now in education because I think a lot of people who are more experienced were sort of driven out squeezed out by the Gove revolution and at the same time the gov well the government really is they've got a crisis in recruitment and retention but they're putting quite a lot into recruiting young people and of course what a lot of young people are told and maybe believe in the beginning is that they're coming into you know a really good and improved education system but goodness me as, as a journalist and writer I'm constantly talking to people who get very disillusioned very quickly mm-hmm. And a lot of those people, if they can, go and then write about what's wrong with the system. But I'm doing a piece now about head teachers under the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic is a crisis. But as in so many areas of society and in education, the pandemic has illuminated a crisis that was there before, which is teachers who are dealing with a sort of test and target culture with less and less funding, with very little government understanding, and they are, you know, and then this pandemic that is driving many of them to despair. And I talked to a head this morning where I felt really quite concerned about, I won't say, you know, their state of mind. And I think that's not uncommon. And then uh, organisations like the Association of School and College Leaders that represents heads and college leaders saying that they expect mass resignations at Easter because you resign at Easter and leave in the summer because people just won't take it anymore. So I, I you know, I think the the but what what I, to try and sound more optimistic because we I know that you don't want to sound too grim. I think the fact that the pandemic has shown up educational inequality from you know, hunger, the problem of hunger to mm. digital divide to um uh, 
just the different situations that that young people are living in. We're much more. It's like we've sort of suddenly the whole of society has looked into people's homes, and and understood how the home, to go back mm. to your point, plays a part in educational success. It plays a huge part in educational success, and. You know, I'm I'm very sorry that we've got a Tory government with an 89 majority in the House of Commons. I mean, I'm sorry anyway, it's terrible. But I'm sorry at this point because I think with a different government, we might have we might have brought about some quite important changes. Now, we might still, but um, I don't feel this is a listening government. And I also, I think they're, I find them fraudulent. I think they pretend, mm. you know... Anyway, if we get on to general government problems, we'll be here all day, won't we? <laughs> I think the um, what you were saying about her, her teachers and the pressure that they're under and, and the whole of the school uh, staff is that with 11 years nearly of austerity and cuts to, to the budgets and to local government, so what schools? They've now become the hub of communities and they're, they're, they're filling in the gaps... For, for what used to be provided by local authorities, public health. Um, so, you know, washing children's yeah. clothes, um, making sure that they're fed in the morning, all of those things that shouldn't be necessary, they're taking on. And now with the pandemic, the test, even just the lateral flow test, all of this, that, um, that you know, they're there to, to educate. And yes, it's whole child. And yes, we need to make sure about children's well-being. But it's, it, it is a direct consequence um, of, of Tory government policy. Um, well, a large part of it is. And the pressure, the pressure on the profession is, I, I agree with you, Melissa, and I can see what those head teachers are saying. But the, um, I, I think one good thing to come out of that is that communities recognise more than they did before what the school represents, mm. what, you know, the importance yes. of the school. And also, I, I've, yeah, I think heads themselves, the ones who are not defeated, have a new self-confidence. They have kept their communities going. And I think mm. there's more of a willingness to stand up to government. There's tremendous anger among many mm. heads at, at, at government. And, you know, the stream of what many people call nonsensical government guidance over the last year. So I think things will come out of that. Um, mm. I yeah. hope. And I do think the t teaching unions um, have been superb. Yeah throughout all of this i would say yeah and the, and the guidance that they have been given and the leadership um that they have given has been absolutely excellent and um and so that is a major plus too um, many more teachers joining unions now as well i've, I've noticed but I, so, I think that goes think. goes back to this thing about public discourse and the role of the media you know you know as well as i do that for many in the mainstream media the unions is a shorthand for self-interested overly lefty whatever and actually mm -hmm. i think the fact that the teaching unions have been as they often are very sensible concentrated mm -hmm. on the important issues led from the front um that's been that's been an important shift in that kind of depressing mm -hmm. game that is played in our in our political culture mm. yeah yeah um, Tom, so, have you, uh, Melissa, can I yeah, just uh, off off script here, really? Um, but mm -hmm. you, you grew up in a, a very political environment. Um, you never became a politician, and I can tell. I, I mean, I've only just met you, and I got to be honest, I don't. I I don't have a history of sort of. Um, I've not known about you before, yeah. really. Uh, as I'm, sh hopefully you've not known about me, um, <laughs> but um, you, yeah. you're a podcast star, Tom. A podcast star. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is, you know, um, did you get near to becoming a politician? And 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 as well as that, the fact that what strikes me about the short time I've known you is that you've got a very a lot of freedom of thought there, which if you had have become a politician that wouldn't be allowed and do you th i think that's shows up a bit of a flaw in the system of of uh how we govern ourselves really the fact that as soon as you go into politics you step into a straitjacket 
and you can't think freely and you can't be objective because you've done something. Yes, no, I understand what you mean. And, I mean, you know, I think there are all sorts of politicians and I, I certainly think many of them are very, very thoughtful and maybe more in private than public. Um, I just think I, I... When I was young, I just wanted to be a writer. That was what I wanted to be. But I also... I, I couldn't not be political and those have been the two things that have driven me. Um, I think I'd have been a terrible politician. I think I'd have found it stressful. I need lots of time to think what I think. I'm quite dreamy, you know. I like to... Uh, I, I, You know, some people thrive on that pressure. I wouldn't and so on. But I must admit, as I've got older, I sometimes think... Sometimes when, when I'm feeling that my campaigning is quite pressurising and so on, I think it's almost like I am a politician, but without, you know, the salary, the status or the, or the support, <laughs> you know. Um, but, but, but it's because I think this probably does come from having two parents who were quite thoughtful about their politics. I'm very interested in the narrative. I'm very interested in arguments. I'm very interested in putting them in the most uh, uh, appealing way possible. I, uh, something I learnt from from my father particularly is not to attack people. You know, I mean, I think you can't be in politics without certain amounts of em enemies and the people or, or people you who oppose. But there, I I really I'm quite sort of courteous and and I, you know uh, and and lots of yeah. I I would second that, Melissa. I always find you, no matter at any event I've been to, I always find you so respectful towards people. That and, um, I think that, and so yeah. patient. Yeah, pa well, I'm really, I'm not patient, really. But actually, <laughs> as I've got older, I, I am more patient. But all those things matter to me because, uh, and I don't like nasty. I mean, I find that there's sort of toxic element about current politics in all kinds of ways that I really, really worry about. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to sort of get cliches about social media, but we all know what. I mean and I think I th you know I, I did want to say something else about an idea that came up last in your last uh, podcast about having a, a channel that was where you could hear ideas at length where sort of left ideas this podcast is a safe space to talk about things a bit more length and with respect for the left which is so missing in the mainstream I just worry though about the fragmentation of media so that we're going to see Andrew Neil and Murdoch set up right-wing channels. And, of course, the left should set up its own channels. But, first of all, they'll have a lot more money. And um, But but I, I'm quite interested to, in what, what are the common spaces in our culture where we can sort of talk with people we really profoundly disagree with. And, I mean, I, I suppose Parliament's one of those places, and I suppose at some level the BBC... You know, we, let's not get into arguing about the BBC, though. But I think it's important that we retain those. So I think it's important that the broadcasters who always give the left a hard time think more about that. That's really one thing, rather than just the left go off and do it themselves. Um, yeah, we're, we're, me, me and Thelma slightly disagree on this one, I think. I, I, I don't know. We haven't talked about it. I think the mainstream media is basically a tool of the establishment and... and I don't think we've got a lot to gain from going near them. They just use every opportunity to, if you, you know, they'll they'll call you in and they'll get you there and then they'll trash you. And uh, I, rarely does someone on the left come out of there with a, a gain. I've seen it. There was a, you know, occasionally someone will get it, get their point across and win. But generally speaking, it's a very you know, the odds are against it. And I, I cannot see the advantages of going anywhere near them. Uh, where where I, I know at the moment we haven't really got a left-wing media to speak of, it's tiny, 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 you know, in terms of who in the population even knows it exists. It's probably 1% even, I don't know, it's tiny. But it's surely our job now, knowing that the media is what controls the narrative, Surely our job now is to build that media up and make it so that it's something. Now, yeah. it's not for someone like me to do that. I haven't got the skill, but there are going to be people out there that that can pull that all together, pull all this stuff together, make a make a radio, make a telly, 
uh, telechannel or whatever. It's streaming. It's it's easier now than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, do you know? Uh, anyway. I I, th I think I agree with both. I think the answer is to do both. I think you you know what can be the harm? It can only be positive to build up channels where you can have. And it's not just about left right. It's about lengthy conversations it's about going into ideas mm. it's about really understanding where someone's coming from because and then the other side is i think we do need people who are skillful at putting arguments across in a in a mainstream place but i think the trouble is people get labels and once you get a label it's you know um it, you know veteran left winger which was a, a label that that you know tony ben lived with you know mm. it's like you, they decide before you even open your mouth uh, what you're going to say. I, I actually think he was better than most. He he sort of just didn't care. So there are certain things that circulate mm. on social media where he was put on a programme, called a veteran left-winger, patronised before he'd even started, and he just went hell for leather in saying what he wanted mm. to say. Yeah. And he, was he, he was good. And I think John McDonnell mm. was, is very good. He got really mm. good, I think, during the Corbyn era at going on those programmes mm. and putting an argument persuasively. So I, th I think I think we we can't give up the mainstream space entirely, but I agree with you. I think it's it's very hard. And also, they cut you off. I mean, I've done things like the mm. Today programme and so on. You get 20 seconds, if that. And mm. it's all controlled. It's all controlled. You know, mm. you're diminished and controlled. So it's really, it's a difficult thing. Well, I, I, I agree with Tom uh, to the extent of uh, the new left-wing platforms that we, we are growing. And I think there's some really good... I mean, we were talking about Ash Sarkar at the beginning of, uh, of this episode um, and the work that these young... Uh, journalists are doing and on the left, and I think I think it's brilliant that that so many different platforms are 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 coming forward. Um, but I, I am a believer in 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 public service broadcasting, and I I do I feel really sad about what's happening to the BBC and the threat to the license, and you know who who is going to become director general etc yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and i i worry about the the brand if you like uh, of the bbc but i do believe in its core purpose um and i do still think that there are some very very good journalists um I, I, you know both print media and in broadcasting and i i agree with you melissa that there should be a platform where it isn't left and right where it's the issues yeah um, and there's a depth and an intellect. And again, and I probably could say, well, you would agree with about John McDonnell being very good at that. But I, th I think he he is engaging and has the intellect to be able to, uh, you know, to get into those issues and to argue the case. I, I also think, on a positive note, that the um, Peace and Justice Project um, with with um, Jeremy Corbyn and and uh, what's happening with that. One of the key priorities is about addressing um, MSM and control of right wing media. Um, so that's an important part of that project too. So there are things happening um, to address it, um, but I think it's just a shame what's happened to the BBC or happening to the BBC. It's, it's all um, it's all part of the shift. There's no question the shift to the right. And the, and the new mm. kind of shift to the right since 2019. And I mean, you know, I am quite worried about, you know, the legislation going through. Mm. You know, I'm worried mm. about a government that that gives contracts to its friends, um, that then denies a pay rise to this, you know, to the NHS that it's, senti you know, it's sentimentalised. Um, but I... I, I I'm just worried about. I think there's something, uh, there's something particularly worrying about this version of Toryism. Actually, I mean, it almost makes me um, nostalgic for kind of the wooden decency of Theresa May. But you can edit that out because mm. I'm sure. You, I'm, <laughs> sure. I'm not going to because well, I, <laughs> no. unless you no, demand it, well, it because no, I what, totally what, agree with you. I, I'm going to be controversial here, but what is that? Because we haven't got uh, an effective opposition. Well, if we're on to the opposition, that's that's a, that's another question. I mean, look, I I remember seeing John McDonnell and Naomi Klein uh, discussing after Joe Biden won 
Thank goodness, yeah, Joe Biden won. And mm. and what Naomi Klein said is, you know, it's no good saying Joe Biden won because he wasn't left. He was moderate. He won because the left supported him and mobilised for him. And I remember at the time thinking, Keir Starmer, if he, that's what Keir Starmer needs to do is to find a way to work with the left because the ideas are very popular. That's why Jeremy won in the first place. The ideas are very popular if you put them in the right way. And if Keir Starmer is sensible and wants to win, he will work with that. So I'm disappointed that it, it's... That, that, uh, really disappointed in the way it appears to be developing. And, you know, mm. I think you can't substitute those important ideas for a, a flag that's always, you know... The, 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 the what's mm. it called the union jack uh, behind mm. you i mean i i've even heard debates with you know tories on those sort of political programs that i'm addicted to saying enough with the union jack everybody it's enough it's just it's a meaningless symbol you know so i i think i think keir star i thought keir starmer would take those what were the 10 pledges that he got elected on i thought he yeah. would take them and he would move forward with them maybe mm. in a slightly different way and and maybe he will do. And I'm still hoping that he will, because we can get on to another one of the things you discussed, to stay in the Labour Party or to stay out, you know. Um, totally understand both positions. And in a way, it's that, you know, you can do both. You put pressure from outside and you work mm. from within. Mm. I think what you mentioned earlier about your dad having that freedom when he was out of Parliament... Um, obviously mine's a micro scale compared to your dad but I, I feel you know doing this podcast uh, the different uh, campaigns I'm involved with that there is that um, freedom there to to say ex well what, what what you believe um, and it's because I was always very loyal when I was in the Labour Party yeah. you know or tried to be um, but but we're seeing um, you know I mean this forthcoming by-election that is uh, mm. going to be taking place um, in Hartlepool. Um, I mean, you know, this is very worrying as well about party democracy. And it, it's just while we're concentrating, it seems, or Labour are concentrating on on the kind of splits and um, infighting about who, who, who does what to whom or how we, how we move forward... Um, the Tories are getting away with what they're getting away with. And this is the frustration, isn't it? But, you know, oh, there's um, so many things about this. I mean, first of all, I've always thought policy is not polarisation. You, know, I, I, you know, do you remember the pledges in 1997? I mean, I was never a great supporter of New Labour or Tony Blair, but, you know, that, that was after a long period of Thatcherism. But, you know, five policies, you know, housing for the young, social, something to mm. fix social care... Uh, you know, a better funding for an education system, um, you know, uh, proper pay for people, you know, proper childcare and things like that. I mean, it's that's what Labour mm. should be talking about. Mm. And, um, mm. yeah, that that's, that's really important. Rather than trying to sort of uh, fight, you, you know, get rid of the wrong sort of people or, or yeah. Melissa, do you yeah. think... Uh, do you buy into this idea at all that... Uh, Keir Starmer is really uh, just a... Um, he's there to destroy the left. No, not really. Um, because that, no, no, because I think that, that makes him sound like he was made in a toy shop. And, uh, and, and, and he, in fact, sometimes he does, he does remind me of a slightly... He's got a sort of buzz-cut haircut, you know, buzz-like-year haircut. Um, no, I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I almost, you know, I, I have a sort of almost a, a novelist view of Keir Starmer. He, 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 was, uh, he comes from another world. He came into... He hasn't been in Parliament that long. I mean, just to go back to my, uh, my reading, I'm reading a biography of Attlee. And, you know, what's so interesting about some of the... You know, Attlee was a, you know, a very uh, presided over the probably the most radical Labour government. I mean, he had been in politics. He'd been in Parliament for decades before. You know, it takes mm. time to understand the forces mm. that are working for you and against you. And I'm not trying to tell Keir Starmer who he is and what he's doing, but I would beware of a sort of old. Um, Praetorian guard of the new Labour era coming in and telling you how mm. to deal with things and I certainly mm. think it's a mistake to appear to have turned against the left you know 
I, and the idea, and, and more than that, the ideas are left because we need the ideas that emerged out of that 2015 period because they are the ideas for the future, and that's how I think mm. we should all be talking, whether we're in the party or out. You know, uh, sorry, mm. I'm pointing to you in the part, out of the party, or, or in the party. Just talk about what needs to be done, and you know, I can see Keir Starmer's trying to you know a bit like a wartime coalition say we're in a crisis and and certainly up to recently trying to um support a government during a crisis i mean it's you know there are difficult things there um and i think yeah. they have been good on things like the cronyism and con you know crony and that you know they have done the you know there have been front bench members that say good things but there's some fundamental motor energy that's missing from the Labour project I think mm. at yeah. the moment I think they, they, yeah I think you're right about holding on to those policies um, from the 17 and 19 manifestos but it's almost like with Keir it's not he's not wanting to admit those were those are the policies that are needed because they're from the Corbyn era uh, so it's like a rejection of actually what is needed because it's an admission that the, the Corbyn leadership was right in that respect with like manifestos. That, I know, but you and, know, and I, it, but I feel that you know, I'm not saying he's not a skilled politician, but a skilled politician would say, yeah, let's exactly. not argue about whether these were yeah. Corbyn policies or not. They're the policies yeah. that we need for this country. And actually, a skilled politician would say, you know, in his time, Tony mm. Blair was a moderniser. Well, I'm a moderniser for now. You know, you can you can mm. draw from the the well of different. But if you yeah, but if you set your stall out like they did at conference, Melissa, with the sign under new leadership, you know, it was like a total rejection. Yeah. Of, <laughs> and, and and to me, it was so unnecessary and hurtful that. Um, but it was almost like this is going to be completely different. We are, you know, we are not adopting the same policies. And that's, it's almost like he set his stall out here to say, we're com completely going to do things completely differently. Yeah. Well, um, but you know, I, 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 that's one other thing I did want to say, and it goes back to the Corbyn era. I remember arguing with a a, a leading member of the uh, anti-Corbyn faction, and I was saying, in the fifteen to uh, to nineteen period, and I said, look, something really dangerous is happening that you're contributing to. This was a Labour person. It's one thing mm. to be critical of things that might be going wrong in the Corbyn leadership. It's one thing to be critical of the policies. You are contributing with the help of the MSN to delegitimising Jeremy and the left. You are delegitimising him. And when I see under new leadership, that is the delegitimising project mm. carried on. It's saying mm. that this person and the cluster of ideas around them are toxic and nothing to do with Labour. And that, I think, is where it all became impossible mm. and I think it mm. needed a lot more thinking through than yeah. I see happening yeah. yeah I think there's complete lack of vision I think that's the problem as well it's a rejection of what was in place that actually is so needed now and even more radical policies post-pandemic it's a rejection but a complete it seems to me lack of vision for how would you do it how and, and you mentioned before melissa about uh elder statesmen from the blair period being brought in to advise um it is not right for for the now the here and now and what's needed um, and that's the that's the dilemma we've got at the moment. Yeah, but I think also to be fair to Labour, it's always hard to be opposition. It's always hard to be Labour opposition. Yeah. It was most hard to be a left wing Labour opposition. But you are up against a Tory party. I mean, you know, thinking about that question of uh, of, of of Richard Bergen and you saying that you saw a lot of people on the front bench during that period being stiff and kind of not themselves. And worrying about making mistakes. We have a Conservative leader who his own ex-editor you know, editor of his newspaper has condemned him. He's been found out in a number of falsehoods. He's a, you know, a manifest and create a clever clown in many ways. And yet he is, you know, that is, it, 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 nothing seems to stick to him. He can get away with being all mm. of that. And it's like Labour's the sort of good the good child in the class whereas the person who's playing up 
is 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 kind of racing ahead and there's something in that and i think that goes back to education i think that goes back to this kind of etonian thing about you've got latin tags and you speak in a certain way and i think accent is still very a big part of our society and the way we we trust people and um so you know i'm just i'm just kind of seeing it from labor's point of view and i think they've got a really big you know they're, they're dealing with a a, a clever, canny, um, uh, and sort of totally supported by the establishment opposition, you know, the government. And that's tough. Yeah. And I know that the two of yeah. you, because I've heard you discuss, I'm sure you would accept that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's, sorry. It just seems um, a criminal to stop this, really, but we have been going on a, a really long time. <laughs> I've been time. going on and on and on. <laughs> no, but no it's, it's been really talk about and, and and get into so uh melissa it's been absolutely brilliant i i really hope you'll come back and do another podcast with us it, it oh. would be so good uh, oh yeah well, do I come back melissa oh no definitely uh, definitely it's so nice to just really go for it like that and um yeah been great to listen to you both too and uh you know really lovely um, I've really enjoyed it actually I just really enjoy this safe and thoughtful space I I love it so I'm just going to wind up the podcast now Uh, it's been utterly brilliant podcast one of the the best I mean we've done some yeah I've enjoyed it that's really good so thank you very much for listening everybody and Please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you if you enjoy listening. And if you want to leave us a comment, that's even better, as long as it's a good one. Thank you very much. And I'll just pass you over to Thelma. Say her goodbyes. Uh, thanks, Tom and Melissa. And thank you for listening. Um, I hope you join us next time. But at a time when democracy is being threatened, I'll leave you with the words of Gandhi. There is a higher court than the courts of justice, and that is the court of conscience. It supersedes all other courts. Solidarity.